Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. I am Asher Panjuris, and I am, as always, super glad you uh, tuned in. I just want to make one announcement um, to remind folks who haven't heard about it yet that I have a program um, coming up that will span three months, it's a virtual program, and it might be right for you. Um, I'm just gonna tell you a little bit about it and also encourage you to um, check it out on uh, my website, livinginthisqueerbody.com, or follow the link in my Instagram bio. Um, Registration ends for this program um, on March 1st, and so that's soon. And the program starts on March 6th. There are, as of this recording, there are um, two sliding scale spots still available for Black, Indigenous, people of color, queers. Um, DM me if you want to learn more about that or email me um, through the website and I'll just say a little bit about the program it's called embodied testimony and it's a program intensive aimed at facilitating connection with other queer people providing opportunities to witness the felt experiences and perspectives of other group participants which in turn will help you experience your own personal struggles or pain points in a different light. You'll be working with some journal prompts and other generative and creative projects. Um, In between our um, sessions, we're gonna have six one and a half hour long sessions um, virtually over the course of three months. I hope that this program can be accessible to a lot of people in that way. I'm really enthusiastic about addressing the absence of treatment options specific to queer and gender nonconforming individuals who struggle with issues like disordered eating and nourishment, substance abuse and use, dissociation and distraction as a means to manage the challenges of inhabiting a marginalized, sick, dysphoric, disabled, fat, or anxious body. Um, At the end of this experience, I really hope that you'll be connected to an enlivening community and you'll know much more about how to listen to your body and its narratives. So please check it out. Spread the word if you find yourself thinking of someone who might really benefit from the program. I'm open to suggestions around um, how to pay. I have a payment plan um, for folks. And anyone who's been in any of my previous workshops gets a discount, so message me about that if you want to register. And yeah, just be in touch with me. I really want it to be a place that is useful for um, an intimate group of people. So that being said, um, I want to move on to our interviewee. Jay is really amazing, really... Uh, just, I just keep getting very lucky with people who come on the show. I really, I'm just so touched by people's willingness to be open, to share their experience. So Jay is a non-binary fat activist who is passionate about, passionate about 
trans advocacy in making the world a little more accessible for people of size. They believe in self-compassion and the power of a good laugh, which you would find out if you follow them on Instagram at Comfy Fat Travels. That's all one one phrase, Comfy Fat Travels. Um, and there will be a link in the show notes. Jay writes about their experience as a fat non-binary person out in the world on Patreon. And their Patreon is patreon.com backslash comfy fat. And on that site, they really share a lot of resources for the plus size community. Um, talk about their own experience. It's a really beautiful offering. Um, and so, yeah. Jay and I talk about how they found community on YouTube, their gender feels, the morality discourses we place on fatness, finding accessible forms of movement, and much, much more. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Be in touch with me. Think about signing up for the program. It starts very soon. And I thank you for listening. Jay, thank yes. you for being with me today. It was a bit hard on my part scheduling, and you've been a real champ. And <laughs> I'm so glad that you're willing to take part in this project. Absolutely. No worries at all. I mean, I'm just thankful that you want to have me on your podcast. I'm Aww. super happy to be here. Cool. Cool. Okay. So um, I like to start out with a question. Um, that I've asked a lot of podcast guests and have begun to ask myself. Um, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's an interesting question, challenging question. Um, but if you could reflect on your earliest memories of learning about what it means to be in a body messages mm-hmm. you received or experiences that you had, um, what comes to mind for you? Sure. Um, so I feel totally comfortable sharing this, uh, but I do want to give a heads up to anyone listening that it it gets real. Um, Mm -hmm. so uh, my earliest memories of having a body and, and I've always been like a fat kid and a fat person. So for me, it's first memories of having a fat body, um, are when I was four or five. Um, I was in foster care And, um, I have memories from that time of the foster family being so like very concerned about my weight. Mm. And I had a lot of like doctor's appointments and, um, I would eat different things than the other kids would eat at the house and stuff. Uh, so basically I was on a diet and, Mm -hmm. um, I remember like BMI charts, like doctors showing me charts about my BMI and stuff. So those are my like earliest memories of learning about my body really. Mm. Um, and I mean, other people's perceptions of it and, um, health being tied to it and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Right. So that anxiety, that kind of like projected anxiety really entered into your psyche at a very early age. 
so early. I mean, I like, (laughs) I've had these memories for a long time. It's not that I've just discovered them, but what I have just, just discovered recently is, um, I have a six-year-old niece, Carissa's niece and my partner. And, um, she is so vibrant and so like a child. And (laughs) I Mm. look at her and I'm like, man, no five or six year old should have to think about things like their weight. And mm-hmm. like, that's so damaging to put that on a child at such a young, like developmental age, you mm-hmm. know? So that's something that's new to me. Cause I haven't had a lot of kids in my life, like mm-hmm. as an adult or anything, I'm an, I'm an only child too. So, um, yeah, that's a new perspective that's come to me recently. It's just like, wow, that was much more like damaging and impactful than I had ever thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like, I think seeing, I mean, my, my reference point for that is having a child. I mean, I've been Mm -hmm. around children and I have a sibling, but you know, it's very powerful to experience as an adult, what, what a child (laughs) is capable of experiencing in terms of that sort of freedom of movement and Mm. freedom of exploration. And, you know, my daughter is very much about like, you know, leaning into her weird self and, (laughs) you know, and, and if you haven't had those experiences and that permission or that spaciousness, you know, in your own history, it can be quite like, I wouldn't say like alarming to see, but it's just shocking. You know, it's really shocking. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's definitely interesting. I mean, you say like leaning into the weirdness. I, Mm -hmm. I love when I see kids like that. We have friends who have kids too. And uh, one of them is just like such a wild thing, such a weirdo. And, (laughs) and she's just like leaning into it and loving it. And, and I love that maybe it's like kids today are more likely to be able to mm. have that freedom um, and that acceptance from their parents because their parents are us and we're <laughs> trying to uh, change the narrative and the way that we raise yeah. children, which makes me feel hopeful. Yeah. I feel really good about kids these days. Yeah. Yeah. It's helpful. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you came into maybe a a kind of maybe you have and maybe you haven't maybe this is the question but like have, do you feel like there's a way that you're kind of leaning into your weirdness you know as an adult or when were you able to kind of start doing that um it's a great question i think I've leaned into my, yeah, I think I do actually lean into my weirdness. I mean, (laughs) when it comes to like, uh, accepting and loving my body, um, that started, I mean, that was like early twenties when I really was able to start like doing the work to get, to undo the shame and the the self hatred, um, Mm -hmm. that like the world puts on fat people. Um, and when it comes to my, my other weirdness, I'd say I'm, I'm like endearingly awkward and <laughs> like charming in a sense of just, you know, sort of just endearingly awkward. Um, and I lean into that because that's what makes me feel 
authentic and and mm. right that feels right and um that also hasn't hasn't happened until my early 20s I feel like I really uh, maybe I'm a late bloomer or <laughs> maybe there's a societal shift that's allowing me to feel uh, safe enough to do that and be that kind of person. Um, but I do feel like it's relatively new. I mean, I'm in my late twenties now, I'm going to be 28 at the end of uh, this month. And I, I feel like early twenties is, I wish I had been able to lean into that much earlier. I mean, mm. I did social work before I did this and I worked with youth. Uh, and I just, am, I've always been so impressed by youth of today and how they um, have such a greater grasp on big ideas and big subjects. Like they understand white privilege. They understand uh, systemic racism they understand body positivity um like high schoolers and I just think man I wish I had that in high school Mm -hmm. things would have been wildly different had I even just had a couple friends who like we connected about those things you know so not having access to those narratives or friends who kind of believed in those things what what was the impact of that on you and your development do you think um well I definitely am still doing the work now of like figuring out excuse me figuring out who I am and what I want to be doing with my time and um what my purpose kind of is and Mm -hmm. I think that a lot a lot of that identity stuff gets stunted when you're just kind of focusing on surviving yeah um so high school for me was like school doing schoolwork was great because it was an escape from um like chaotic stuff at home and and that was great but my peers my classmates I didn't really feel like I fit in anywhere I was just trying to be as invisible as possible because I was a bigger kid and and high school for big kids is like notoriously rough um mm-hmm. and so I really spent a lot of time trying to not be burdensome and trying to eliminate my, my existence and my impact, whether it was just walking down the halls um, or trying to keep quiet and not be called on to talk in class. Cause I didn't want attention drawn to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I really feel like I, I sort of disconnected myself from my body for all of high school. I really have no, um, I have no memories of liking any clothing that I've ever worn in high school. Um, I was always in hoodies and like, no matter what the weather was, I was always in a hoodie. Um, and I think that that does, that did sort of impact my ability to really focus on the things that you should be focusing on in high school, which is like building friends and community and exploring, exploring your passions, exploring your mm. um, skills and seeing not only what you want to do, but what you're really great at and trying to figure out how to bring those things together for, you know, a career. And I definitely like none of that started happening for me until I left high school. So I, um, I was going to drop out in 10th grade, um, Mm -hmm. because I just, I could not stand walking on eggshells every single day. Um, and I ended up, like having a bad day and being called to go home. And I decided I'm not going back and I didn't go back for 
um, two weeks or so. And we were trying to figure out if I was going to get my GED. Um, and then there was, there happened to be like a transitional program where you could take all of your classes at the local community college, um, and get your high school diploma. And a lot of kids did that just to get um, college credit. So they would take some at the college and most of their classes in high school. But I saw it as like sort of a saving grace. You know, it was like, wow, I could just go to college and not have to see these people ever again in high school and not have mm-hmm. to do the bullshit and also not feel challenged by the work. And um, so I took it. I took the opportunity and I got into the program and I went to um, community college for my last two years of high school and, um, got my diploma and started working on my associate's degree. And that's when I really got to explore like psychology and sociology and women's studies and, and really Mm. sort of find, I found feminism and I found, um, like body politics and, and that led me to find like social work and, um, really looking inward and figuring out who I wanted to be in the world, you know, but I, I do feel like I, I could have done that much sooner had I been able to just, just be a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It sounds like there, there was like kind of no escape for you. No, no like safe, safe or comfortable space for you. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds like home was not that and school was not that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can imagine that, you know, you didn't really have a safe place from which to explore those things. And I wonder how that also impacted, you know, how you came to understand your gender and sexuality because of you know, because of that kind of shutdown, like hoodie on, you know, just yeah. like getting, you know, dissociating and getting through. Oh yeah. It like 100%, um, like stunted my ability to check in with myself and, mm. and see even how I felt about gender. I, I, because I wore hoodies a lot and I cut my hair real short in 10th grade. Um, I would get misgendered a lot as male and, um, it would like throw me just completely off. I mean, I would just start crying immediately and like run out of a grocery store because it mm. happened, you know? Cause I was like, I, I had all these feelings about like, well, what does that mean? If, if people think I'm a boy, does that mean I'm just like really like an ugly girl, yeah. you know? And like I was failing to perform at femininity. Um, mm-hmm. and I mean, I just didn't have it. I didn't have the like emotional, um, strength to look further into it. Like I had, I have always been in therapy, but it's never been something that I was even remotely willing to bring up because it just felt too big. You know, it felt too big and scary and, um, just so intimidating. And, you know, I, I said that I had to disconnect from my body for all of high school because of being fat. And, and I really feel that way that like that, made it me made it impossible for me to look into gender and how I felt about it. And I know that gender doesn't, it's not related to your body necessarily at all. But, um, for me, it was like, I was disconnecting from myself as much as possible Mm -hmm. and, and checking in with my body meant finding what kind of clothing I would want to wear and, and how I wanted to present and, um, being present with myself. And that just like, was not 
something I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that also had to wait until my early twenties when I was living more independently, um, and working and in college and surrounded by people who made me feel safe. Um, and, you know, building a queer community and having queer friends who are trans and non-binary and just learning that it was okay to explore that. But it took me a while of getting out of um, survival mode, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you learn? That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I wonder what you learned about, maybe you're still learning. I mean, I think we all are in some ways, but what what you need in order to feel like it's okay not to just be in survival mode like what you what kind of either supports or you know circumstances in your life do you feel like you need to be in place or have you learned about that helps support you in being able to try to be in your body um try to be connected to your sexuality, your, you know, all of it, like, what have you learned about that? It sounds like definitely being independent, being able to kind of determine and seek out some of the structures that like actually resonated communities that actually resonated for you. Right. The community thing is huge. Like, so it started for me with like watching YouTube videos of like, you know, young, thin, white, trans boys and their transitions there were a lot of youtube Mm. videos at the time of that Mm -hmm. like um and i would just i was so like amazed by their transformations and Mm. um and it would always end with me feeling so discouraged because i knew that i would never look like that um and that was because i'm a fat person and i'm never gonna be like a very thin person. And mm-hmm. all I was seeing was very thin, very attractive, um, people. And, and I think part of building the community around body positivity led me to, um, more, more variations of people, more variations of bodies. Um, and that, that opened my eyes to the fact that I didn't have to look a certain way to be a certain thing, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that I, I get to, find out where I fit and it doesn't have to be what these videos look like and what everyone fawns over and what everyone thinks is like ideal and perfect and um you know having the perfect chest and and all of that felt it felt very scary to me at first to think that I would never achieve that and then I found friends and um community online where it was like guess what you can be (laughs) you can be a, a fat cisgender man with boobs and you can be a like your body parts don't equal anything and um you are who you say you are like you don't have to look a certain way to Mm. qualify that's the thing is I feel like there's a lot of like what counts as trans what Mm -hmm. counts what counts do I count as this am I really actually this and once I was able to feel safe enough to not have to make a decision and just say, like, you get to explore, you get to say, I don't know right now, you get to work with a therapist specifically one-on-one with, about gender, and Mm. um, that was, like, huge for me, too, was I, like, I had my regular therapist, but I then also got another one specifically to talk about my gender feels, and he was a a trans man himself, and 
um, that was huge. I mean, so important to be able to have a therapist that has actually gone through experiences that you have about something that's so, so um, not talked about, especially at the time. I mean, even just, you know, five to 10 years ago, it's a huge difference in conversations that are happening around gender. Yeah. Um, And at the time it was like, I mean, amazing to me to be able to listen from a, a trans person and have him say like, this is, this is about how you feel authentically. You don't have to go off of any sort of set parameters or characteristics that other people have created. Um, mm. and, and that was like mind blowing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting to me. I mean, I'm so glad, I'm so glad you found that. And, mm-hmm. and and as a therapist myself, I think that there's a, a kind of, um, at times there's this, how do I say this? I guess in some ways what I'm, what I wish is that we didn't have to have such demarcations like that, right? You know, that you didn't have to go to someone necessarily that's, that, that people could find support that's more holistic, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, that your body is in the room as you're talking about yourself, right? You know, and your mm-hmm. body is a gendered body, a, se- a body that has a sexuality, you know, like all of these things. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's a, maybe kind of an ideal, in an ideal world, that is what I would like to see. But I wonder for you, like how parsing out or becoming more comfortable or empowered around, you know, gender variance or gender expansiveness, um, through the course of this therapy and also in the communities that you are part of, how did that, how has that, I, I guess, how has that sort of played into how you feel about living in a fat body or being queer? Interesting. So how, I just want to reiterate, so I know what you're asking. How did the work that I did around gender yeah, um, and learning about the expansive possibilities yeah. impact, impact like my other identities. Yeah. Like how you relate to the different other parts of yourself, you know, like what has maybe have new things seemed possible to express or new ways of being in your body felt more possible once you kind of encountered this more expansive notion of, of like, I can be non-binary. I can be, you know, like, I don't have to ascribe to a particular version of transness that gets promoted in the, you know, mainstream media or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I mean, I think, let's see, I think that the amount of acceptance I had to have with not not knowing or not trying to force any sort of gender on myself um, taught me a lesson in, in like radical acceptance, like being able to say it is what it is Mm. and that's okay. And that, that could change and that's okay. But I think there's a lot of pressure to, to put ourselves into a box. And I learned more about like living in the gray and, um, and having that, that be okay. And I think that did kind of lead to, I mean, I think that leads to like 
all around acceptance about my body and about saying this is where I'm at right now and I don't have to try to force it or change it to be anything other than what I am and that I deserve like love and respect and kindness from people and and healthcare and rights and you know I deserve all the things whether I know exactly what I am and that's in one of your boxes or it's not Mm -hmm. right we can talk a little bit more later about you know how people can interact with some of the work you do but I I was particularly struck you have a YouTube channel Mm -hmm. and um I was particularly struck by one of the videos um in which you talk about your experience of kind of gender dysphoria and what that feels like in your body and how it fluctuates um and I wonder if maybe you could say a bit more about about you know what you discussed in that video and um how it felt to kind of talk really concretely I guess that's the word I'm looking for it's like talk really concretely about the experience of dysphoria because I think a lot of times it's you know, it's like, I'm feeling dysphoric today. And the, the kind of subtext of the, the dysphoria is some of what you, you explored in that video. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's this like common misconception that dysphoria is discomfort. Mm. Um, and, and I, I think what I was trying to, I don't remember the whole video, but I think that what I was trying to get across was that it's, it's not just a, a general discomfort. I mean, it could be, I think more often it's like, it's more unbearable. It feels like, Mm -hmm. um, it's so much bigger than discomfort because we do try to do work around like, um, distress tolerance, you know, like we do try to believe that we can like work through our distress and our discomfort. And I think that for some, for a lot, maybe of trans people, like it's, it's an unbearable feeling that, that really, I don't, I don't want anyone to feel like they need to just, just, just grin and bear it Mm -hmm. or just, just pull up your bootstraps and get to it. Like it's, um, physically it can be, um, you just want to, I mean, for me, I just want to separate. I just want to, not have a body at all. Um, Mm -hmm. I would avoid any reflections or mirrors or photos. Um, I just felt very sad, very like, um, crawling out of my skin kind of, um, Mm -hmm. and you know, nothing feels like it fits right. And it's not even about how it looks on your body. It's about like how it feels on your body. And, um, it's a, it's an intimate, relationship uh, that you have with your body and if it's if it feels like you don't want to be close to that person um Mm -hmm. it's you can't escape it you know Mm -hmm. um does that answer your question yeah no yeah I mean I think exactly I mean yeah I appreciate you kind of recapping that I think that um you know, before we started recording, you and I were talking about a little bit about children and, Mm -hmm. um, and just this idea that, you know, there's a 
kind of distress that children sometimes express where you can actually tell that what they're feeling is unbearable, you know, Mm. because, and the way that they express it as children or infants is, is usually through crying or whatever, you know, whatever the like really intense expression is. And I'm just thinking about like how, how we put words to that kind of like it's distress, but it's more than it's intolerable distress. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it's just very important to make spaces, which you're doing, you're actively doing, making, creating spaces to, you know, sort of normalize that these extreme feelings of, you know, not wanting to be in a body, not wanting to, you know, interact with the world, not, you know, that, that, that is actually you know, a result of feeling, um, as a result of dysphoria, you know, Mm -hmm. and that that's part of your lived experience. And that in a way, you know, the way I sort of hear you is that you're by doing that and by putting that in the world and by, you know, doing, you know, working on this kind of radical acceptance around the spectrum of your experience, like the, you know, really unbearable parts and the pretty good parts, you're, you're sort of nourishing yourself in ways that you weren't when you were younger. Um, right. Absolutely. Yeah. It definitely has in moments felt when I've been like very dysphoric um, and dysregulated, it's felt sort of childlike. It's felt like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure it's bringing up stuff for me from my childhood, um, but it does feel like just, you know, very, extreme like you said a very like so so strong um Mm. feeling and it's uh, it's so hard to explain it's like Mm -hmm. there's not enough uh synonyms in the world for me to like actually get it right I Mm. feel like when I try to explain it it's I never quite get it across Mm -hmm. unless unless you experience it yourself um it's very hard to come across yeah Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that, that I wanted to talk with you about, this actually doesn't have to, you know, apply to your, your actual lived personal experience, but I am, because you are, you know, very vocal, you know, as like a social media presence about, fat acceptance and body positivity and health at every size. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about what kind of, you know, awareness you have or feedback you've gotten from people who, you know, you either know or people who, who watch your videos or whatever, you know, your audience essentially about, disordered eating in, um, in the people that you're interacting with and how you think about kind of rhetoric around eating disorders or disordered eating, um, especially for people who are kind of born into and live in fat bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so this is a big one because fat people are consistently uh, left out of the conversations around eating disorders and yes. eating disorder recovery. Yes. Um, and that I think is because of all the stigma around 
like diet culture and how we feel um, people should and shouldn't act and the the morality we place on fatness. So we mm-hmm. say that that it's that you're not following society's rules because you clearly um, eat just eat too much and that's that. And you have failed to follow the rules. So therefore, if you say you have an eating disorder, then great, you should be losing weight. I mean, really, it does. There are so many fat people I know who have had actual doctors uh, tell them that whatever they're doing is working when they've expressed that they're barely eating anything, Mm. that they're Mm -hmm. restricting or that they're even like binging and purging. And Mm -hmm. um, that is so heartbreaking because like what they're saying is that they care more about what you look like and how much weight you have on you as opposed to what's actually going on inside of your body and your mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it impacts fat people in such a great way because it's like, I mean, in a great massive, not good um, way, because it's like, you know, <laughs> the relationships with food is all messed up and mm-hmm. their mental health around it is also all messed up and you have nowhere to turn that feels like it's safe or shame free. Um, it feels like no matter who you talk to, uh, it's going to be with judgment on their part. They're going to say, well, if you didn't get yourself in this position to start with, or, you know, it, it really feels like how could I even tackle this? Because the world is so much against me about it. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I mean, I've, I've also noticed that, you know, in, in the community, the like body positive community and the fat activism community, there, there are conversations going on about eating disorders and recovery um, amongst fat people. And I, I'm so glad and so thankful that it is happening. I just want it to be so much more mainstream than it yes. is right now, yes. you know, cause it's like, we, we still see like stereotypically very like thin voices then people's voices uh being the 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 main main event of the conversation around eating disorders in movies and media mm-hmm. shows and it's always it's always girls and I do think that there are you know a lot of men who experience eating disorders and and gender non-conforming people who experience it and um people of color who experience it that I think we're not we're not giving enough like um representation too you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I mean yes I agree wholeheartedly I think it was a little bit of a leading question because I you know it's 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 the field that I work in and I I really I couldn't agree more um I also think you know I'd be interested to hear I guess your thoughts on what the intersection of, you know, trans identity, fat acceptance, queerness is, is for you in regards to the challenges of figuring out how to relate to nourishing your body. Um, and by nourishment, I mean food or mm-hmm. movement or just whatever you're taking in that is helping you Mm. to feel good about yourself or feel fueled or feel whatever, you know, I mean, having been a person that at age four knew what a BMI um, chart was, which, you know, 
should not be the case and right. probably should never, is, should never exist. It's not real anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's not. Um, totally. So I found that there are communities uh, specifically on the internet um, that feel safe to me and are moving mm. in the right direction. And then there are some that aren't, um, that I don't feel like I've found a, a place in yet. Um, so when it comes to like trying to find space for myself in the trans masculine community, mm-hmm. um, it has felt particularly challenging to yes. find a space that, that doesn't revolve around, um, weight loss and exercise and, yes. and muscle building and dieting. Um, yeah. because there's so much, so much pressure for trans masculine folks to adhere to society's standard of what a masculine body looks like and what, um, like it gets very exciting for a lot of folks to start seeing their body change in a way that adheres to that. And I don't want to downplay people's like authenticity, you know, but it's, it's, it's particularly triggering for somebody who, um, is trying to not buy into that shit anymore, Mm -hmm. you know, like who's Mm -hmm. trying to do anti-diet work and trying to intuitively eat and work out because I like it, not because I'm trying to suffer through it till I get to a different body, you know? Yes. Um, So that's been a hard space for me to try to be a part of because it, it, I make connections with people and I find that our values don't really align and, um, it's a, it's a bummer for sure, because there's a part of me that wants to connect more with folks that are like experiencing that, um, similar sort of gender journey. Exactly. Um, right. Yeah. But, but there on the flip side, there's the fat community where like intuitive eating is really being talked about and, and movement for the sake of feeling good in your body is really starting to be talked about. I did a collaboration with, um, join, which is like J-O-Y-N. They are a new um, yoga platform on the internet. You can watch videos and um, it's about accessible movement. And they have Mm -hmm. like teachers who are actually like certified yoga people who are like fat and watching videos of somebody doing yoga that has the pretty much the same looking body that I do is so revolutionary and so magical to me because I've been so afraid to step back into movement Mm. because I mean, oftentimes it's, it hurts and it's not enjoyable um, or it's in a space that doesn't feel safe or it's being taught to me by people who don't understand that I simply don't have the same mobility that they do. And um, finding little pockets like that, like join and there are a bunch of other like, yoga things that are focusing on accessibility um, Mm. has really reintroduced me to the idea of like, I can move and enjoy it and just do it for that only and not be looking for any particular outcome whatsoever other other than I enjoyed that time, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that. I think Several episodes ago, I interviewed um, Ilya Parker from uh, who has a podcast and a um, a personal training business called mm-hmm. Decolonizing Fitness. Oh, and yeah. um, you know, Ilya talked a lot about what you just described, like this kind of 
predominant discourse in especially the transmasculine community around, um, you know, orthorexia essentially, Mm -hmm. you know, and I mean, it really is, uh, can be very orthorexic and understandably so. And I think that, you know, the standards that were, you know, people are aspiring to is like those, you know, we didn't necessarily create them. They, they, you know, and so it's, it's, it, it's a really complicated intersection, but it makes sense that, you know, something like, um, join would be appealing to you because it's sort of, it sounds like it's really, a really encompassing multiple aspects of your identity yes. and your life experience. And I think more, I guess that's, that's really what the deal is, is more spaces need to be inclusive of Mm -hmm. more of our experiences, not just like, you know, in name only, but actually in practice be, you know, be committed to thinking about like, okay, so, um, well, let me say it a different way. Just basically that, that spaces, quote unquote, healing spaces of any kind, you know, really take into consideration someone's body experience more holistically, you know, their health, their, you know, whatever that means, their, you know, chronic pain, their size, their, you know, mobility, Mm -hmm. like status at the moment, you know, trauma, (laughs) just like all of it. Right. Um, I don't think that's too much to ask. No, but I do think that, um, some people think it is, <laughs> you I know, I don't think it's too much to ask. I think it does take a lot of work and yeah. a lot of restructuring and it takes, we need more people in power who have that same or people with privilege who have that same value, you yeah. know, like we re- really need, we need to be able to get those people who have those values to have the ability to mm-hmm. open these spaces, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, how magical would it be if there was like, if it was normal for, for gyms to not be about weight loss or shame and for there to be multiple different types of facilities to reach folks who are larger and have mobility stuff, who are disabled, who need a trainer who is trauma informed, you know, like, wouldn't that be great if that was the norm? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're doing, you know, I mean, the way I found you is that you're, you are doing some of that work, not in that exact way, but you know, you're really publicly putting yourself out there in a way that is living, um, you know, with a lot of integrity around those Mm -hmm. values. So I'd love to hear, you know, for the audience to hear more about, um, you know, how they can, find out about what you're doing, um, see the work that you're putting out in the world. Um, you're no longer the, you know, walking on eggshells, at least most of the time walking on eggshells, (laughs) hoodie down, you know, head down, hoodie on, um, high school, or you're really like putting yourself out there very publicly. Oh yeah. I'm definitely working on that that vulnerability. Um, folks can find me. (laughs) I, I write about, all this kind of gender stuff, uh, fat accessibility. Um, I write about that on comfyfat.com. That's my 
blog and um, I have a YouTube channel where it's youtube.com slash comfy fat. And that's a little bit, there's some personal videos. And then for the most part, I just try to really have fun with it. Um, Cause I do think it's important also to be the representation I wish I had, which sometimes that's the fat person talking about fat activism. And sometimes that's, I wish I had just fat people who are just being themselves on the internet and not worried right. about like doing activism work. Yes. Um, yes. So I try to try to change it up there. Um, yes. And then I also uh, have a Patreon where I'm getting like really vulnerable and doing journal entries and um, we have an exclusive Facebook group and that's where I'm like making some more connections and being like, like getting down to the heavy, deep and real stuff. Mm. Um, so that's patreon.com slash comfy fat as well. Great. I love that. Thank you for sharing some of that deep and intense stuff here. And I hope that people listening can, you know, find one of those ways to connect with you and support the work you're doing. So I think it's really amazing and important. Um, and so yeah, I'm really honored to, to have taken, uh, to have you taken the time to, to speak with me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was so great talking to you. And I'm just really thankful that you reached out because I don't know how we might have connected otherwise. So thankful for the internet. Yeah, yeah, right. Good internet moment. (laughs) 